Welcome to Arts District. My name is Sterling Shea, and today I am speaking with Lauren LeBlanc. She is an actor, a writer, and the chief rep for the Parents Artist Advocacy League in DFW. I cannot wait for you to hear all the wonderful things that PAL is doing for our DFW community of artists. Here we go. Here is Lauren. So you, your, one of your kids has a drive-by graduation today. Oh man, we're just in the thick of it over here in the parenting world. Yeah, we have. Uh, she's got a, a. She's a fifth grader, and um, they they're doing a. It's it's a sweet little thing. They're t- just through the neighborhood. It's probably going to be a mile long parade, and uh, it's to honor the seniors at the high school level, the teachers, and fifth graders. I guess maybe eighth graders too. Anyone who's like transitioning up to the next level of education. So uh, I'm going to get off the podcast with you and go uh, decorate my car. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, uh, like we're like, that's, that's the way we party these days, right? As car parades. That's so so cool. Yeah. My, my siblings are, my sister's leaving fifth grade and going into six. So she's going to a new school. And then yeah. my, my brother is starting eighth grade mm. and we have a, we have a huge, huge age gap. Um, that's yeah, that's a, that's a bit, <laughs> but those are huge years. Uh, yes. That's, that's, so yeah, that's they, exciting times. Yeah. They were both bummed that they, uh, they couldn't finish out the school year. Like, usual. yeah, that's, that seems to be, gosh, when you sit and think there's, there's so much to grieve. There's also so much to celebrate and that, you know, we're safe and healthy and happy. And my family are some of the fortunate few that, yeah. that can do this without <clears throat> too much disruption, but, right. but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of loss there. So it's, yeah, it's tough times for everybody right now. But. Yeah. I, when this all started, I just couldn't help but think like, well, thank God we have they have four laptops in the house and four iPads and like everyone can't like we have internet access and everyone connected. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, here in Plano where we live, um, the school district's been really good about accommodating kids from every financial level. Those who are food insecure, those who have computer access, those who that, you know, they'll, they'll check out computers, but then they're like, if you don't have internet access, like here's the access points in the district. But you know, some of those access points are you can access this Wi-Fi in this parking lot. Yeah. So to, you know, to imagine doing your Zoom calls for your second grader from your car Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's just really it's a humbling experience. And I think it's um it's just reminding me what really is important and what matters and how to how to, uh, you know, we're distilling everything down to its most basic. Um, and it just puts everything in perspective, you know? Right. So, but I'm so happy to be here talking to you. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, tell tell me about yourself and about your career and how you got to where you are today. Well, it's, um, it's a circuitous route. So I was always an actor, uh, and I went to school for it. And, and then when I left college, I decided that I wanted to do something different. So for a little while, I was a journalist, um, for local papers in, uh, Wisconsin and Kentucky and Texas. And then I decided I hated that. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I went back to school and became a teacher. So I got my master's degree from the University of Louisville and went into the classroom. So I taught uh, seventh and eighth grade language arts and theater. And I did one year as a, an assistant chorus teacher. I was not very good at that. But uh, I loved being in the classroom and I loved helping kids learn. And then um, I had my first child. I have two daughters. And for a little while, I taught full time while my oldest was in daycare. And then when my youngest was, when I was pregnant with my youngest, um, my husband and I sat down and I did the math and I figured out that if I was going to put them both in full time daycare and teach, uh, we were living in Kentucky at the time. Uh, I was going to make $85 a month. And wow. so there wasn't really a lot of financial benefit to me being in the classroom. There wasn't really a lot of financial benefit to me leaving the classroom. It was a little bit of a wash. And so I just decided at the time that where my heart was, was I wanted to be home with them. So now I say all of that to come back around to theater, because if I had not made that choice, and I mean, I loved teaching. I wept when I had to call my boss and tell him I was going to take some family leave. Um, But if I had not done that, I would not be here talking to you today. I would not have ever come back to the theater. And so what happened was uh, about a year into being a stay-at-home mom, um, I went to an audition for a community theater in Kentucky. And I got the part. And then that led to Louisville, where we lived, as unified auditions, citywide auditions. And so I went to that and I got an agent and I started doing commercials and I started booking bigger theaters. And then we moved to Philadelphia and I joined the EMC program and then we moved to Dallas and I joined equity and, and now here we are. And so I feel really fortunate to, as you know, we're, we're talking about pal, we're talking about being parent artists. And I feel really lucky in that my weirdo experience being like, um, I affectionately call non-theater people muggles. I was a muggle mm-hmm. and I'm a, and I'm a theater artist now. And in addition to having that dynamic, I've also been a working mo- a working out of the home mom, a stay at home mom and a working from home mom. So I feel like I've, I've had my toe dipped into kind of every little pool that you can. And so it gives me um, it gives me that empathy for when we have discussions with people who are leading lives that look different than mine do right now, mm-hmm. because I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to, um, to have a lot of experiences. So, uh, yeah, so we've been, let's see, we moved here from Philadelphia in 2017. And, um, I had, like I mentioned, I have two daughters, they are 11 and eight. And uh, it's been a really, Dallas has been a really welcoming community. And I've just um, almost three years in and I already feel rooted, which is really wonderful. (laughs) It's a good feeling. That's awesome. Uh, Tell me about your daughters. What are they like? Oh, gosh. They are... uh, Funky and headstrong and um, super sarcastic, which I appreciate. And mm-hmm. uh, and they they ask really good questions, which is really um, I feel like is 
one of the things that I value so highly is like, you know, get behind things that you believe in, but find out what you believe in first. Right. Right. Yeah. And what, and what you don't, what you don't believe in. So I, I feel very fortunate to be raising two very smart little chickens. <laughs> That's awesome. So you are the DFW chair for the Parent Artists Advocacy League. Yeah. What is that and what do they do? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm the chief rep is technically the title or chair or whatever, but basically I'm just the point person between um, artists in DFW and the national platform. Um, And that doesn't give me any kind of authority. It just means I'm the one sending the emails trying to coordinate Mm -hmm. things, basically. So the Parent Artist Advocacy League is a relatively new organization. It started in 2017 um, by our intrepid founder, Rachel Spencer Hewitt, who who is, uh, she's a Broadway actress and just a very cool, smart person. And she looked around like a lot of us do and saw this um, inequity when it came to um, performers who became parents this is a difficult lifestyle anyway. And it's, um, you know, being an artist in any capacity means that you go to work when everyone else has leisure time. Um, because you are, you provide the entertainment, um, that other people, uh, enjoy in their off hours, but there's really no off hours for parents. And so it creates this imbalance where it's, it's, it's really difficult sometimes to um, address those needs in the in the theater community, which is made up of a lot of young people um, who have not yet started families or who don't plan to start families, um, or older people whose families are grown and established. Um, at least that's the you know that's sort of the common way of thinking. But there is a huge community of parent artists who just really hadn't been served. I know I when I was living in Philadelphia. Um, and Kentucky for that matter, I, I used to say I didn't really fit in with either group. I didn't fit in with my theater friends because they were all younger than me or they were all much older than me and none of them had small children. Um, and then I didn't really fit in with the mom friends because here I was doing this weirdo artist thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't sort of your typical PTA mom, even though I am a member of the PTA, um, <laughs> I, I didn't really fall into the, the, the normal demographic. Um, now that being said, when I moved to Dallas, um, I was doing a show, uh, with my dear friend, Christine Phelan. And she said, are you a member of this Facebook group online? Uh, it's all, moms. And she added me to this group. Well, Dallas had kind of, DFW rather, had kind of started to fill this gap in an unofficial way before PAL ever ever came to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And they created a a networking resource on Facebook. And so um, how I got involved with PAL was uh, pretty uh, humble, I guess. I I saw a a friend of mine had on a t-shirt that said, a mother's place is in the theater. And I remember seeing it and going, oh gosh, that speaks to me on a cellular (laughs) level, you know, like I, yes, yes. A mother's place is in the theater, at least this mother. And, um, there was a website on it at paltheater.org. And so I went to that website and I was like, yes, this, okay. So pal is an advocacy organization and 
basically, there are several tenets of PAL, and I've taken all kinds of notes so that I don't forget anything because it's all really, really important to address. And the three main tenets of PAL are to organize. So basically to bring parent artists and not just mothers. I, I can only speak as a mother, but, but it's to address mothers and fathers and any kind of caregivers who are also artists. Um, so to organize that group so that you don't feel isolated um, because parenthood and caretaking can be a very isolating thing. Uh, so it, it brings those people together to organize as the first tenant to network. So it addresses the idea that um, not only are you looking for camaraderie and common voices and to be seen, you know, what are the two most powerful words in the English language? Me too. So like, I struggle with this, me too. So you're looking to organize, but you're also looking to network because um, we are, we're constantly on that hustle, right? Like we're constantly moving for that next gig. And that, that doesn't stop because you become a parent. It doesn't stop because you age. That's, that's just an inherent part of this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And the third tenet is to create. So, so not only are we looking to organize these people to create professional opportunities and networking, but to create initiatives that don't exist yet. So for example, um, the Seattle PAL chapter, which was one of the early chapter cities that was founded um, after the national organization was founded, has started writing general audition guidelines. They do a city, a unified city audition. Um, and so they're creating a guideline for those general auditions so that parents or caregivers in the arts can audition without worrying about uh, what they're going to do with their children, whether yeah. their children are um, going to be a hindrance during that process. They've created a system of guidelines so that those theaters can address it uh, either at the individual audition level or or at a general audition where you have 20 or 30 theaters showing up. So there are windows of time where there are uh, people people there to help you. So it doesn't have to be so hard, which is so mm-hmm. great. And then the other two um, sort of really important points that aren't necessarily part of the three tenets, but um, I guess the two addendums to that are PAL is 100% intersectional. So it's all, all disciplines, all genders, however you identify. If you are a caregiver and you are an artist, whether that art means that you stage manage, you direct, you're a producer, uh, you make music, you make visual art. Um, you are in the arts. It's not just actors. I speak as an actor and as a writer, but um, these things are, uh, it's, it's bigger than that. And, and also that um, every PAL event has legitimacy. So if there's a PAL event that's happening, um, it's registered with the national organization um, and there is either child care available or it's a child-friendly event. It's not, <laughs> it would be ridiculous to host an <laughs> event for PAL and be like, make sure you get a babysitter. Yeah, you. sure. But, but these are things that we, gosh, I won't say I've never had to think about it before because when I started back um, on the road to become a professional actor, which was my dream my whole life, and then I took a different road, and it was about seven years ago that I started pursuing this professionally, um, there was no advocacy organization. So the amount of money that I spent on childcare just to attend rehearsal uh, is 
if I sat down and did the math, it would it would be an astounding number. I, I've had to I've had to pay to play, but I don't mean to attend a class where I might meet a casting director. I mean I've had to pay just to attend rehearsal. Um, I've had to pay to go to performances. And one of the things in conversation that I've learned since um, since stepping up uh, to to try to like organize uh, DFW in a in an official way with Pal. The thing that I've come to realize is maybe it doesn't have to be so hard. Um, and I don't think this is necessarily just a pal issue. I think this is perhaps a human issue. Certainly it's a female issue because this is a conversation I ha- I've had many times with a lot of my female friends and colleagues. But um, we bend ourselves into pretzel shapes to, to fit what the world needs, to make ourselves easy to work with, to make ourselves low maintenance to make ourselves, um, uh, I don't know, seem kinder and more approachable. Maybe all we really had to do was ask for what we needed. Mm -hmm. Maybe all we had to do was say, I can't do that on this day because, because I have to be home with my children or else my children have to come with me. Maybe all we had to do was say that. And maybe, maybe those in power, those doing the casting, those doing the directing would be able to meet us there. So, for example, um, l- last fall, I was uh, in a production of Tuck Everlasting at Casa Manana. And it's a T- it was a TYA production. So a lot mm-hmm. of our performances were 10.30 a.m. school performances for field trips. We had weekend performances as well. But um, it was most of the run was in October. And there was a day in mid-October where it was a teacher workday for school. And usually what I do is on those days, I'll sit with my husband and we open our calendars and I go, okay, on this day, I'm going to be in Fort Worth um, and I need some help. And he can go, okay, I can move some meetings around or I'll be home or I'll pick them up or whatever. And on that day, he said, I I can't, I can't, I have to be at this place. I can't get out of it. And so I talked with the with my castmate and dear friend, Sarah Gay, who uh, I shared a dressing room with. And, and she said, bring your kids. She works at CASA. She's one of the resident educators there. And she said, I do it all the time. Bring them. And I brought them and they got to watch a little bit of the show and they got <laughs> to walk backstage and they got to um, experience some of that magic that not everybody gets when they buy a ticket, you know? Mm-hmm. And not only that, but the, the, the staff and the crew were all uh, so welcoming and warm. And the thing about that that's wonderful, I mean, the thing about that that is wonderful is that it's um, Casa, in my experience, was a place that was open to my family. Um, now, that's a case-by-case basis. There's no, there's no protocol, right? There's no guidelines that are written and, and handed to them as a suggestion to say, here's what to do to be a family-friendly theater. And that's part of what PAL wants to do mm-hmm. is to create guidelines so that theaters know uh, how to create safe spaces for their care- caregiver artists that want to work there. Um, another example, the show I just closed, I don't know, five minutes before quarantine started. Uh, I did One Man, Two Governors at Circle Theater and also in Fort Worth. And, um, it was a similar situation. My husband was traveling during tech 
which is perhaps the worst week for him to be out of town. Yeah. And, uh, and I had, I had everything all taken care of. I had most of that week. Uh, I was good. I couldn't figure out final dress. And uh, Matthew Gray, who was the star of the show and also the artistic director at Circle, has two children. And um, he brought his kids one night. His wife was our dialect coach and, and the whole Gray family was up at the theater. And, um, and so I kind of watched. And a few days later, I was like, I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to ask if it's okay. And I said, hey, Matthew, would you mind on final dress if I brought my girls? And I couldn't even get the sentence out before he was like, yes, yes, 100%. Oh. And what was even cooler about that particular night was, um, uh, you know, we're taking production photos, we're all in costume, we're all in full makeup and doing all the things. And uh, uh, one man is the is an audience interactive piece. So he would pull some volunteers and he said, can I, can I use them for the trunk bit that we do? So not only did they get to come to rehearsal, but they got to participate. And, and after that night, um, I said, Hey, I haven't, I want to talk to you about this because this experience here at the theater, not only just during rehearsal, but my youngest fell asleep and uh, the whole, like, I mean, these are like Joel Farrell was our director and like these, these, uh, you know, just important art makers in BFW yeah. are all there and they're all like, what can I do? Can I help you carry her to the car? Can oh. we get, get her upstairs a basement space? Can I, can I unlock the elevator for you to go upstairs? They're all like so accommodating and warm and wonderful. And afterward, I asked Matthew, like, hey, here's this thing that we're trying to do. I'm trying to create this PAL chapter here in DFW. And he said, I'm in 100%, whatever you, whatever you need. So I'm not the only person um, in any kind of leadership at the city level. Uh, there's a chief rep in every chapter city. And then there's um, a, a group of uh, volunteers that, that make up the committee. Mm -hmm. And I have a really strong, very cool committee full of people in, in every age range at every stage of their careers, um, behind the, behind the casting table and on the stage everywhere. And, uh, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a humbling and beautiful thing that so many people, all I had to do was ask, all yeah. I had to do was say, I'm thinking about putting this thing together. Would you be interested in being on the committee that helps us decide where we take this locally? Um, because PAL National, their whole, their whole goal is to create spaces uh, and to create conversation that meet the needs of what's happening in our community, because it's going to be different what DFW needs uh, versus what Chicago needs versus right. what San Diego needs or Raleigh-Durham. So uh, it's important that, that, that conversation, um, starts here and grows here. So that's amazing. Sorry, it was a lot no. that I just threw at you. <laughs> You've given me so much to think about. I mean, my, my husband and I have been married for three years. So we're mm -hmm. starting to have those conversations sure. about, about parenthood. And we think that's something we want to do in the next or five years. Sure. But I mean, my biggest fear has always been like, cause he's an actor too. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I never want to get to the point where it's like, whose rehearsal is more important, mm -hmm. like who has to stay home mm -hmm. and knowing that something like this exists to mm -hmm. buffer to create, that. Yeah. Uh, and to create is, conversation and, 
and and that you don't have to do it alone. You know, yeah, it's very people. comforting mm-hmm. for sure. So, what does I mean? You you told us kind of what um, it looks like to bring your kid to rehearsal mm-hmm. now. What mm-hmm. are some of these guidelines that they want to implement that might change how that looks? So what's what's hard what's hard to address right now is it is it's a that's a d- tough question because um we are a fledgling chapter city and uh what that means is we've had uh we've we have a chief rep um I was put in place in January we have a committee we had our first small meeting at my home um in February and then we were scheduled to have our first <laughs> citywide meeting at Theater 3 on April 14th. Well, Theater 3 is our host organization and um, a, I, a home theater for me. It's where I earn my equity card and I mm. love them and feel so supported by them. And that was where some of those conversations were going to start. So these guidelines that are being written um, to address the needs of the city. Uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to start those conversations yet because of the COVID-19 crisis. So we're sort of in a holding pattern. Um, I, I've started, I, I just emailed my committee this week and said, hey, let's, let's get together and have a Zoom meeting and, and, and check in on you guys and see where we're at because we had an agenda. We had, um, we had volunteers. We had childcare set up for our kids, um, for parents who are coming to the meeting. Uh, for the citywide meeting to begin those guideline conversations. And now it's tabled and and for who knows how long, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, It's also, you know, it's also scary. It's a scary time. There are two things that scare me the most about, about the current crisis and what it means um, in our communities. And it, and the two things that scare me are when I think about my children's education and when I think about the status of theater, um, which are, you know, t- t- the two reasons, I guess, that I'm involved in PAL because these are the two things I care about the most, my mm-hmm. art and my kids. And and what that means for for the community is, I don't know, it's a difficult time. So we, we do have... Um, you know, when I met with my super smart, incredible team, we talked about, we, t- we threw out a bunch of ideas. And so some of the ideas we talked about were audition protocols, you know, maybe creating a window of time during a general audition where, you know, from four to five 30, please don't sign up for this audition slot unless you have children because mm-hmm. we'll have childcare provided, something like that. Wow. Um, if we had childcare, one of my ideas that I would love to try at a theater that's willing to experiment with this is to have a childcare matinee where for one or several performance matinee performances, the parents buy a ticket and then they buy an add on pack to that ticket for $5, $10. They get to go to the show. And then during the show, there's some kind of workshop theater workshop, or maybe even a smaller child friendly performance happening outside of that that's run by professional caretakers and and child child care workers so that everybody gets a little bit of culture and parents don't you know you pay maybe what you pay for a babysitter maybe less and then everybody gets to it's sort of a family activity you know um we talked about having like ambassadors 
to different theaters so that, uh, you know, if you have a working relationship with uh, Water Tower, if you have a working relationship with Uptown, um, and we have these members um, of our local PAL Chapter City, and then they would be the ones who are sort of, sort of like an equity deputy, but uh, as opposed to that, a PAL a pal liaison, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, is one of our, we have so many ideas. We have so many, uh, things we want to address. We want to do at some point a panel water tower did a, uh, a women of water tower panel a few years back. And one of my committee members, Jen Kinzer, smart, brilliant mom and, uh, amazing actor had attended. And she said, I think that would be a super cool thing to do. Um, as it, as it, as it addresses being a parent artist. So we have all kinds of great ideas. We need to be allowed to be in a room together (laughs) soon to implement some of these things, you know, but um, it's, I have a lot of hope, you know, theaters have guidelines for, so for like for sexual harassment for when you when you when you sign on for a job and you're signing your contracts on those first days there's all kinds of guidelines that each theater has in place this these are our expectations these are this is what we what we expect of you as an employee and what we will promise to do for you as your employer and wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be wouldn't it feel safe if there were also guidelines for parent artists to uh, how to address it if you have to call out because your kid is sick, how to address it if you have to bring them into rehearsal, how the theater is going to handle that. Um, and, you know, these are big, big picture ideas. Right. So it's it's that thing where we sit down uh, with with people, with really smart people, with really good ideas and lots of experience and say, this is what I've dealt with. This is how I could make it better. Where do we go from here? Yeah. yeah. And how cool is it that like your kids get to see their parents working <laughs> and doing something that makes them happy? Gosh, and it's kind Sarah, of like, I don't even know how it, <laughs> exactly what you're saying. So when I, you know, like I said, uh, work out of the home mom, stay at home mom, work in the home mom. And mm-hmm. I have a hard time with those titles even because there is no mom that's not a working mom, whether you're earning an income from it or not. Um, and I think not to a little bit of a sidebar, not to be, not to get too much on a soapbox, but I think what we're struggling with as a country right now is recognizing the value of this unpaid labor that's mostly held up by the women of this country. Mm -hmm. And, and everyone is doing that now and everyone is participating in it and everyone is immersed in it. And boy, that's eye opening. But, but to your point, I, um, as a young mom, I really struggled with going back to work. And I was just teaching at the time, um, which wasn't my, boy, I loved it, but it wasn't my, my passion in the way that theater has always been since I was five years old. Um, but it was what I did. It was, it was my income. It was my, um, I have a master's degree in it. I was a professional and I went to work every day and there was some part of me, some ancient part of me that felt like I brought this life into the world and that's where I should be. And a friend of mine said, what you're teaching, and this is, um, this is a dear friend of mine, she's a principal now in Kentucky. And um, I've carried this with me in my stay at home years and my work from home years and my work out of the home years and all of these different periods of my life. She said, 
we were raised by mothers who stayed home. And so we believe on some base level that that's what mothers do, that mothers do the domestic work. Um, but what you're teaching your daughters is that you can pursue a professional life and still be a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, contrary to much, I don't, contrary to popular belief, contrary to what we see on television, contrary to what we've, the milk we've drank our whole lives, uh, domestic work is not the work of motherhood. Um, Doing the laundry is not the work of motherhood. Dishes are not the work of motherhood. Whether you are good at baking is not the work of motherhood. The work of motherhood is, um, and parenthood, I should say, uh, is, is heart work. It's, um, it's ethics. It's standing up for what you believe in. It's teaching them to stand up for who they are. Um, whether you fold clothes that just come out of the dryer, actually, it doesn't have anything to do with it, you know? <laughs> and so that's, it's something that I'm, I'm still learning. And I've been at this 11 years. So um, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful, even in this weird hiatus time, that I'm able to um, be paid for work that lights me on fire. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for theaters that allow me to bring my children into a place where they get to see their mom do something that, that turns her into something other than the woman who puts band-aids on their boo-boos and um, picks them up from after school activities. And um, they get to see me in a whole new way. And, and my hope for them is that they will be inspired to pursue the things, to find the things that light them on fire mm-hmm. and to fight for those things. And when they see the inequity, when they see the struggle, the other parents, the, the going broke from trying to get to rehearsals and they, they want to make it better, that they will be inspired to do that too. Now, I don't, I don't think that the choices that I make all the time are the right ones, but um, you know, we're learning together. Yeah. <laughs> So. That's that's so good. So what has um being a parent artist during quarantine, mm-hmm. how has that changed your routine and shaken oh, up the household? Boy, you know, it's interesting. Um, because I mostly work from home, I mean, in addition to um being an actor, I'm a writer as well. Um, which is that's taken a little bit of a hit. Everything's taken a hit, right? I mean, not just the theater industry for sure. Um, but, but everything I've, I've now been, I call myself a reluctant homeschool teacher. Um, (laughs) because I was a teacher, I was not ever going to be a homeschool teacher. My kids, I think it's, um, it's a really important element of public school that they go and they learn how to socialize and they learn how to get along with other kids on the playground. It's, it's a life skill. Um, so meeting their needs is a constant uh, pursuit. It's um, and finding time to step away. Like I still, I still take voice lessons with my uh, dear friend and mentor and voice coach Mark Molino. Uh, we do that every other week, and I make time for that. And I say I'm going to be upstairs and I'm going to be on the computer. And here are your tasks. And unless you need me and you're bleeding or a bone is sticking out, don't come get me. Don't come get me because you're fighting over the remote. Don't, you work it out. 
Yeah. Um, and I feel very, very lucky. I know that's not, there are a lot of, a lot of my dear, dear friends have kids that are much smaller and it's yeah. a more high maintenance time. And it's a minor, like I said, they're eighth and 11, they're second and fifth grade. So they're a little bit sure. more independent. They're able to, you know, pour themselves a bowl of cereal and get along without me for an hour. Um, but it's been, it's been a slowing down for sure. We, um, you know, we're not going to soccer practice and volleyball practice and Girl Scout meetings. We're not, I'm not running off to rehearsal and, um, pulling things out of the crock pot to put on plates before I get in the car and drive across town. Um, and for that, I'm grateful because it's, it's frustrating and it's claustrophobic and it's exhausting, but it's also, it's a distillation. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's boiling everything down to that, to that base of what's really so important. And I, I look forward to when we have a little more freedom again, and I look forward to theater being a thing again. I I miss it so much, but, um, I'm trying not to wish the time away. Yeah. 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 I called my mom on mother's day and every year for the last probably eight years, when I call her on mother's day, she, if I couldn't be there in person, she goes, mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you doing today? And she's like, mm-hmm. we're, we're at a select little league baseball tournament all day. We're going to be here from 7am to oh, nine yeah. o'clock at night. It's tournament day. Oh, it's tournament oh, day. And man. I called her this year and I was like, oh my gosh, you don't have to go to a tournament today. <laughs> what are you doing? And she's like, I'm in the hot tub. I have a wine popsicle. Yes. And I was like, yeah. Yes. Mom gets Uh, that day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like just seeing how they've been able to slow down and Mm -hmm. it's just changed their routine so much. It's just Mm -hmm. crazy how. One of my favorite poets, Billy Collins says the world is being slowed down to the pace of poetry. And I think that's, Mm. I think that's really, uh, I think that hits the nail on the head, you know, now of course there's there's loss and there's grief that come with it. I, um, I, I have written, I've written a musical with my, my friend and collaborator in Philadelphia, Tyler Tejada. And, uh, we were supposed to have our first workshop in Philadelphia in April and that got canceled and everything's canceled. All these things that people work. I mean, I have friends that are supposed to be opening shows and supposed to be working and supposed to be on contract. And, um, it's, I mean, even just the audition season that we're supposed to be in, everything looks different right now. Mm-hmm. And boy, that's a that's a slice of humble pie to see how uh, everything that we work so hard for, how delicate it actually all is. Yeah. And so it just it just really, I'm just so grateful. I I even I was talking to a friend of mine about closing that show at Circle in March, it was our last show was March 7th. And I said, man, I had such a great time there that if that's the last show I ever get to do, then I'm glad I went out on a high note, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't believe that will be true because, and the thing I keep saying, and your listeners I'm sure will agree with this because they're, they're artists themselves. Uh, storytelling is, is as vital to human beings as food and water and shelter. It is as ancient as mm-hmm. oral language. And uh, there is, you know, maybe it'll look a little different for a little mm-hmm. while. 
but there will never be a time when we stop telling stories. There will never be a time. There is no virus that can stop that. Yeah. Um, That is intrinsically human. Yeah. It's been really encouraging to watch how quickly these companies pivot to well, what, what are we, what are we going to do? Can we do a Shakespeare zoom reading? Can we film this and put it on, on YouTube? Like, Mm-hmm. Just it's, the, um, yeah, and maybe to make another, I don't know, mother analogy. I, um, I was watching. Pal's been hosting some really cool, um, like most a lot of them are on Saturday mornings. Little little Zoom calls with uh, with just movers and shakers and um, in the arts community. And um, they had a call. Rachel had a call with Sarah Rule, the playwright. And one of the things she said that just blew my mind was when she was pregnant, um, she was put on bed rest and she said, I'm, I had all these ideas for all these things I was going to do on bed rest. I was going to, I was going to, you know, uh, adapt this play and I was going to translate this one and I was going to write a new one and I was going to this and I was going to this and I was going to this. And and actually, no, no, none of that happened because really what you can do is you can sleep, you can you can watch some TV because yeah. your body's doing the work and right. the work is gestation. And, and then she made the analogy that this period in quarantine, this quiet, this, this forced reflection and solitude is actually a period of gestation that we are all cocooning, right? We are all uh, being forced to fold inward. And, and so there are things that you do that are placeholders for what you love for theater. There are, there are Shakespearean Zoom readings and there yeah. are quarantine cabarets and there are all of these amazing opportunities where you get to connect with your friends and do your art in some small way. But really what we're doing is we're getting quiet because when this is over, there will be a rebirth. Mm-hmm. And so the the pressure to, to generate, the pressure to create, I don't disagree with it, but I also think that's not what this is. This yeah. is a time of quiet to prepare ourselves for creation. Right? Yes. Yes. And that's so great for those people that feel fired up and mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. crank out like a, an original work right mm-hmm. now. Um, like I said earlier, I, I was like, I threw myself on the bed and cried like a Disney princess <laughs> a few days ago, like yeah. big shoulder heaving. Oh, and I was yeah. like, and you know what? That's okay too. <laughs> okay. It's okay. I think, I think we, that's the point of this time, right? Is to give each other grace. Like mm-hmm. there are some people that really hate all the online performances that are happening and, yeah. and there are some that need it. And there are some people that say, I've had good friends that are like, oh man, I don't want to read a single quarantine themed play when this is over. For me, it's like, I don't, I don't so much think that because I think what a unique, first of all, what a weird time, Yeah. but also what a unique experience that we are having as a global community when, and certainly never in my lifetime has it happened that we all have experienced something at the same time, in different ways, of course, but mm-hmm. we're experiencing the same uh, crisis. And and so then we're looking at it like we're looking through one of those kaleidoscopes, right? Like it's yeah. a different angle from every, every little mirror is shifted a different way. So it looks slightly different. It's the same issue. But, but I'm sort of 
jazzed to see some writer in Connecticut or from Senegal, some art that's created uh, that shows that mirror image of mm-hmm. this thing that we've experienced. Well, how cool will that be? You know? Yeah. I think, I think great art can come from this gestation period. And I think, um, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to that time to get back out there and it comes to that time, I, I just hope that, I hope that PAL as it gets established can help those artists who would not have had uh, the ability to create that art. I hope, I hope that that start, starts to bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, tell me, um, this might be a loaded question, but leave us with maybe some advice you might Mm. give to parents to be or soon to be parent artists. Oh, wow. Well, I think it's one of the things that, um, you know, you touched on it a little bit earlier when you were saying you and your husband are thinking about, you know, the timeline to start a family and when that, when that comes, I don't, I, I think, I think every, Mm. I think good people try things before they're ready. And, and also good people think they're never ready. Right. But no Mm. one's ever ready. No one's ever ready for this stuff. And I also think that, um, at least for my part, I have a tendency to catastrophize. I have a tendency to, um, to explore all the ways things could go wrong in my head and try to prepare for those contingencies, right. To prepare plans. Um, I remember when I was pregnant with my first child, my husband, my poor husband, <laughs> uh, who's, who's so supportive in every way. Um, and I, I was, I had gone, I'd gotten up early one morning and gone downstairs, poured myself a cup of coffee and I came back up and I was sitting by the bed while he was still asleep. And when he woke up, he looked at me just kind of staring <laughs> and he was like, uh, and before I could even say good morning, I was like. I'll never take piano lessons now. <laughs> and he was like, what? And I was like, well, I mean, this baby's going to come and I'll never take piano lessons. Yeah. Well, now why that was the thing. That sounds um, like me. <laughs> what's funny is you have all of these ideas for the way things are going to be. You have all these ideas for the kind of parent you're going to be or how it's going to impact you. And you can't know what you can't know. Right. Um, for me, I I guess to speak, maybe I'm speaking to the artists who are about to become parents or thinking about becoming parents and terrified as to what that will do, parenthood or caretaking to their careers in the arts, as it were. Um, And I guess I would say this as an encouragement, I would not have my career in the arts if I had not become a parent. I... um, I, I left my college, I abandoned my, or dropped my scholarship in college and decided I was going to do something that was going to help the world because theater at the time, this is a very <clears throat> narrow mindset, but I didn't think that it was serving anyone but me. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like you could love something so much and get so much out of it and the world could too. Uh, I thought in a very binary way at the time. Yeah. I understand now theater does serve the world, but at the time I didn't. And so I didn't do, I was not on stage for nine years, basically my entire twenties. And so, um, we moved all over the place. And for my entire twenties for nine years, I didn't step on a stage. And, uh, and so I sort of thought that part of my life was over and I used to sort of, I never really addressed it, but I used to think, oh, I don't do that anymore. 
I don't do that anymore. And I think the thing that gets in your way just in life, but certainly in parenthood too, is um, deciding what things are before they happen. You know, having preconceived notions about things, kind of like I'll never take piano lessons again, because the surprise ending is that my 11 year old's been taking piano since she was six. And I sit down with her and we play and I, I've learned with her. So mm. I kind of did take yeah. piano lessons <laughs> and because of her and because I left my job as a teacher and went to that one community theater audition. I'm an equity actor now and I'm uh, leading the charge for PAL and DFW and none of that would have happened if I hadn't become a parent and if I hadn't said yes to things that matter and if I hadn't tried to make it work um, when it, when it felt important. So is it hard? Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. It's um, you know, everywhere you are, you feel like you, need to be somewhere else. You know, when you're home, you miss the stage. When you're on stage, you worry about your kids. And, um, but that's true for parents all over the world and whatever pursuit they're doing. And art should be no different. Um, when I became a parent, my thoughts got deeper and my voice got stronger Mm. and I had more to say, and I had a better perspective. And I think it made me a hell of a better actor because my experience was richer than it had been before. I'm I'm more of a person now than I was before I had kids. Um, And that voice, not just mine, but mine as as a symbol for other parents should not only not be excluded because it's hard to be a parent artist, but it should be included because it's hard to be a parent artist. Mm -hmm. Our voices, um, our experiences can heal people. And so whatever work we need to do to make it easier for those people who are doing these two very difficult jobs as a parent and as an artist, whatever work we can do to make that work easier needs to happen. Yeah. Whatever gap we need to bridge needs, needs to be bridged because these voices are too important to be lost in domestic work, to be lost to the dearth of you know, PAL has childcare grants specifically for all those rehearsals that I had to pay to go to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now we want to help other parents who that might be, that might be a fine, you know, a financial blockade. want to try to take away some of those obstacles. One of the things that Rachel said to me that was encouraging was we will never be able to move all the obstacles. It will always be hard. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should stop trying. So that's awesome. Really, this this conversation has been so inspiring. Um, can you tell us how people can keep up with you or hear about Absolutely. what PAL is up to? Well, I want to talk about PAL first. So um, you can go to um, paltheater.com, P A A L theater, T H E A T R E. Dot com is is the place to go. And that gives you more information about the national initiative. That gives them information about how to join the chapter. And when you join the DFW chapter, it's $35 for the year. It's an annual fee. They, they're doing a soft launch of membership this year. Um, it's not the only way to participate, but that $35, $5 of that goes to maintain the web presence nationally and locally. And then the other $30 stays in the Metroplex for childcare grants, for initiatives that we're going to be starting that need to be, that, that are what our community uh, finds that it needs. 
And there's also um, a lot of information there right now about the COVID-19, about funds for COVID-19 during this time, um, parent artists that are in, in, in need of financial help, that are financially insecure, you can apply for a grant on paltheater.com as well. So um, I would encourage everybody to check that out because that's super important. And uh, yeah, so uh, I have a website, warrenkableblog.com, um, where my writing and acting stuff is located. And um, I'm on Instagram, warrenkableblog. But um but definitely paltheater.com checked out because we want, we want to hear from as many voices in this area as possible. We want to make this, uh, we want to make our local chapter serve the city the, the best that it can. So that's great. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Lauren. This has um, really been an thank amazing you so much, conversation. Darling. I'm honored to be included. I have so much respect for this podcast. I think you're doing really cool things. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, for asking such great questions. Yeah, of course. Well, I will let you go decorate your car (laughs) for my... (laughs) For my uh, see you later fifth graders parade that, that's, that's awesome. in our neighborhood. Yeah. That's yeah. super cool. Well, you enjoy the rest of your Sunday and thank you again. You too. Thanks so much, Sterling. Bye. Bye. Oh my goodness, y'all. What an inspiring chat that was. Again, if you want to get involved with PAL, check out their website, P-A-A-L theater with an R-E dot com, or you can reach out to Lauren directly. We're going to include her Instagram and website in the show notes. And if you liked today's episode, please do me a favor and leave a written review, not the little five stars thing, although I do appreciate that, but a written review. It takes less than a minute and it really helps our podcast reach a wider audience. Okay. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time. Bye.